Amen. I have that effect on sound systems. If you will, turn to your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Thank you, Brother Mike, for allowing me to fill this pulpit this morning. I don't take it lightly um, because this is God's word that is going forth, and, um, uh, and I'm trying to handle it with care, and I'm so grateful for our friendship, and, and I love you, brother, and, and Stephanie, and um, I'm just grateful to be here today. I know uh, you had a time yesterday where something mattered to you, you know, your, your baby girl getting married, and, and that mattered to you, and I, I believe that it mattered to several of you in this place today as well. You've seen Savannah grow and, and so forth, and so it mattered to you. Um, there are things that matter to us. <clears throat> One thing that matters to me, and I, and I pray that you hear me very carefully, what matters to me is that you know under the sound of my voice that man-aids is the spawn of Satan. I hate it. I don't like it. Mayonnaise, to me, is, is warped. My wife likes mayonnaise. I don't like it. I have went to Subway numerous times and before and asked them to wipe the knife off, but we don't even do that anymore. We just, let's fold it. You know, let's fold it. I, I cut it when I get home. Mayonnaise. I hate mayonnaise. It matters to me that mayonnaise don't touch my sandwich. But what, what else matters to me? There's something else that matters to me. My fifth grade teacher, Miss Land, she matters to me. Miss Land, see, I grew up, <clears throat> I had a speech impediment. And I, you know, throughout kindergarten through fourth grade, I didn't make the greatest of grades. And it affected me, uh, I guess, socially, in a sense that uh, image-wise. So I tried to portray an image that really wasn't me. And so I get in fifth grade, and Miss Lamb breaks that image. Um, she has, oh my goodness, she was so good. I, I can still smell the cigarettes on her breath and the <laughs> Diet Coke on her desk. And uh, she was awesome. She was awesome, though. I, I am so grateful for her. Um, she showed me that I had value. She showed me that I had value. I never knew that I could make A, B on a roll until I got into her grade in her class, but she was, now I don't know whether the, 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 the throwing of desks and chairs made a difference when people were asleep, um, but she made a difference in my life. She made a difference in my life, and I'm so grateful, and I will forever be grateful for her, uh, for showing me value, that I have value outside of my home. My, my parents always showed me that I had value, but outside of my home, she showed me that I had value. Another thing that matters to me are my kids. I love my boys, love them. We have two of them here this morning. Uh, the other two are somewhere around here. Um, but I'm so grateful for my boys. We have one in heaven. And uh, uh, you know, the doctors told us that we would never have kids. And, uh, and I thank God through his grace and his mercy, he gave us four boys, gave us four boys. I know that it's not, that doesn't happen quite often, but God did it, and I'm so grateful, and I will forever be grateful for that. 
But I love my boys. My, my boys are something. Timothy especially. The last one. Something's wrong with him. That boy, he is lit. I mean, he, he wakes up, he's like, yeah, you know, he's just loud. Um, he's loud going to bed. I, like, I mean, okay, what kid takes a nap, gets up, he's good, comes out like last night, come driving home, he was talking to me, all of a sudden you hear, gets him to the house. He is up. On his phone, he's up. And it's like, he's never been asleep. And that's, that's our Timothy. He, he's, a, he's a, I guess, uh, the, the, the joy of our lives. I mean, all of our kids are the joy of our lives. You know, I got to say that because two of them sitting here. But no. <laughs> I love them. I love them. They're good. But what matters to me the most about them is that they know Jesus. Above all things. Above all things. Not only know Jesus, but live for Jesus. Because you know there is a difference. Someone can know Jesus all day but not live Jesus. I want them to know and live. I want them to be kingdom men. Kingdom men. That matters to me. My two oldest, they play football. One is a wide receiver, one is a running back. Uh, you know, I, and they're pretty good. And I, and I said in the first service, you know, the, we, we are a transparent family. So if they're not good, we'll tell them. We'll, I mean, we'll, we'll say, you know, this sport is not for you. Israel tried soccer when he was a kid. It wasn't for him. You know, he got tired. He got tired of running. <laughs> and the funny thing is, he's a running back now. It's, 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 but <clears throat> above all, I want them to know Jesus. I can care less how good they are in sports. I can care less. I love sports. I, I, I love sports. I can care less of what they produce on the field. I want them to know what they produce for the kingdom. I want them to be kingdom men. But someone else matters to me, and that is my extraordinary, beautiful, don't know why she married me wife. I love her with all of my heart. Under the lordship of Christ, she is my uh, joy. She's my life. You know, I, I, I said, again, in the first service, I don't know. I think, God, you know, I was, I was standing. I know I was standing down at this altar, not this one, but in Panama City. And, and I know that this girl was walking down. And I know she was looking at me, but I think God kind of like made another vision, in, you know, because I don't know how she married me. But I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful for her. She is a great mother, great wife. Uh, she is she is a joy. Y'all y'all experienced her. She's she 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 don't meet no strangers, and she talks and she and I just love her. I just love her. But that matters to me. <clears throat> well, maybe my fifth grade teacher don't matter to you at all. Maybe she don't matter because you don't even know who I'm talking about. You know, maybe you like mayonnaise. That as sickening as that sounds, but but we can all agree on this is that some things matter and some things don't, right? Some things matter and some things don't. But have we ever thought and just took the time to think about what matters to God? What really matters to God? 
If you're physically able to do so, I do this at my church. If you're physically able to do so, please stand with me as we read God's holy word. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 20. This is the focal point of this passage. We're going to highlight and look through uh, 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 verses 1 all the way up to 19. We're going to get here to verse 20, but we're going to read verse 20. The focal point. It says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to say that again. Unless your righteousness ex- uh, exceeds or surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What matters to God? What matters to God? What matters to God is faithfulness, faithfulness, being faithful. My purpose this morning is to encourage you, is to to not only encourage you, but to challenge you to remain faithful, to remain faithful to the kingdom, remain faithful to the church, to remain faithful in your walk with Jesus, to remain faithful. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so very much for your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, you're so good to us. Father, I pray this hour, this time, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would grow us. Lord, we don't want to remain the same. We want to always continue to grow in you. And so, Father, I pray this day that you would just use me as a vessel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we now live in a day and age where emotionalism, not facts, drive our discussions. We now live in a day and age where right is wrong and wrong is right. We now live in a day and age where letters that are capitalized are oppressive because it is a symbol of hierarchy. And that is true. We now live in a day and age where justice and truth and equality are seen through the lens of Marxism and not the infallible, sufficient word of God. So we as believers live in a society, in a world where our faithfulness in our values, our faithfulness to the kingdom, our faithfulness to the church, our faithfulness to to our family and our walk will be tested. And listen to this, can become dangerously distorted if we're not careful. What on earth do I mean? Listen, we can easily distort the purpose of spiritual activities. Going to church, serving in the church, reading our Bibles, even praying can become mundane tasks that have no spiritual depth. Now, I, I, was, I grew up in church. I was a church kid. I grew up in church. Uh, my parents had me in church. I, I, I was in plays in church, sometimes against my will. And they had me playing the role of Jesus. I was in church. I played the drums in church. That was my first love. I loved the drums. Uh, I, you know, I played that. So I played the drums in church. I did all of that. I knew the lingo of the church. In, in fact, I was so churched. I, okay, so my, my brother, he, he was signed with a record label, uh, Fresh Wine Records, years ago. And uh, he was uh, going on tour. He was touring and everything. So he had an opportunity to tour in Aruba. 
you know, around the Bahamas area and so forth and everything else. And so, uh, you know, my parents was going and they said, you want to go? Because I had an opportunity. I turned it down. I turned it down because I wanted to have a party at the house. And so what I did was I did what I guess a non-believer teenager would do. I got tape, and I put tape where the furniture was at so I could remember where to put it back. <laughs> yeah, don't y'all do that. <laughs> and so, you know, I was good. I, was, I had a part, I had folks over, cars was at, in the driveway, you know, parked and everything else. And, and I had this one lady in the neighborhood. Y'all know that lady. That one lady that always got to tell on somebody. Now, understand this. This lady, she knew my auntie. My auntie did not stay in the same neighborhood. My auntie lived in another area. And so she worked with my auntie, and, my, and she talked to my auntie. She was wondering if everything was okay with, you know, because she knew my mom and her were sisters and everything else. There was a lot of cars in the yard and everything. And my mom, my mom don't play. My mom, I mean, she, she don't play, you know. And so, I, you know, she comes home. My mom is, my auntie tells my mom. My mom comes home and, and, and everything, and she's like, what, um, what did you do? You know, what, what, you better tell me. I was so church, I said, we were having Bible study. <laughs> I said, we were having Bible study, Mom. True story. I, we were having Bible study. And, and check this out. I even went as far as said someone got saved. I did not have a relationship with the Lord, but I spoke the lingo of the church and tried to act like someone that was of the church, but I wasn't a part of the church. Even in our own lives as believers, we can have these moments where we are just doing church. Before we dive into our passage, allow me to give us some context to this particular passage here. We are in the midst of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is considered one of the greatest sermons of all time, all time. It is the keystone of Jesus' teachings. Now, contained in, in Jesus' sermon, we see the famous Beatitudes, we see the Lord's Prayer, we see the Golden Rule. Now, this cha these chapters are, uh, this Sermon on the Mount is three chapters long. It is uh, uh, five, six, and seven. Now, Leading up to chapter 5, we see in chapter 1 of Matthew's uh, gospel, we see a genealogy. Some of y'all just fell asleep. A genealogy. We see this genealogy that demonstrates, listen to this, that demonstrates that Jesus has the legal right to rule Israel. In chapter 2, it shows that the Magi, Gentiles, might I add, accept his kingship. In chapter 3, we see John the Baptist preaches repentance, which was necessary before the Davidic kingdom uh, could be established. And then in chapter 4, we see the Spirit of God leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But by resisting the devil's temptation, Jesus demonstrated he proved to be morally worthy to rule. And he shows, and he, what he does, he shows the conditions of the kingdom by several miracles. The, the fame of Jesus was building. You got to think that they are looking for a Messiah to come rescue them, to save them. And, and now he's finally here. They, they're thinking, they're like, man, I, I, I got this problem. He is here. He has finally come. And now in chapter 5 here, 
Jesus the Christ delivers the ethic of the kingdom. He delivers the ethic of the kingdom. If Christ is going to be their king, if he's going to be their king, there is a certain behavior that follows. Jesus is showing what his, this, this behavior looks like. So in this passage, Jesus, he, he goes up to the mountain. He's preparing his disciples, teaching them because, watch this, they are growing, they're going to be sent out to be faithful witnesses with the message that Christ has given them. And so it goes in chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, send the crowds. He went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now watch this. Jesus takes an authoritative position of teaching. You know, a lot of times I try to uh, 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 sit down and try to talk to my boys or, you know, my boys, they always tell me, man, I'd probably rather have the spanking or whatever than, the, than being talked to because I talk too long. You know, they see, they disagree. And, and I guess I can torture them like that, you know. But I said, you know, I, I want to get down to that. I want them to understand. Sometimes they don't, they don't click. But that's okay. The Lord will deal with them. But it is taking that authoritative uh, position. Jesus takes an authoritative position. He sits down. Whatever Jesus is about to say, whatever is coming out of his mouth to his disciples is very important. It's very important. It's very, very important. And then now the, the next eight verses show the reward and character of true followers. If you want to uh, uh, know what a true follower of God looks like or uh, uh, is, whatever it may be, uh, we commonly call it the Beatitudes. This is what he's getting ready to show. Y'all still with me? Verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see how he does this. He gives the character quality and then the, the, uh, the uh, reward. For example, blessed are the poor in spirit, character quality. Now, the poor in spirit are not those who lack courage and, and enthusiasm, but those who are spiritually bankrupt and utterly dependent upon God for daily living. How many of y'all need God every single day? As one scholar noted, he says, the poor in spirit are those who have been convinced of their spiritual poverty. All without Christ are rich, blind, naked, and poor. Listen, one of the major problems today in our world, even in our churches, is that they are not convinced of their spiritual poverty. But how, how, how do we get to this point? How, understanding our spirit, how do we understand our spiritual poverty? Only by comparing ourselves to a holy God not to each other. Comparing ourselves to a holy God, he is the measuring stick. Listen, to, fit, to not feel this poverty is to not understand who God is. Character quality. 
And then the reward. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so with, with these first 12 verses, this is what an authentic follower of Jesus looks like. So in light of this, when that kind of character is lived out, Jesus goes on. He says in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus describes the disciples' role on earth by using metaphors. He says, salt and light. Salt and light. Notice, Jesus did not say, become salt. He didn't say, become salt. You use this particular word, become, it's like you're forming into something. He didn't say, become salt. He simply said, you are salt. You are light. Are y'all following me? See, this is, it, it, salt is interesting. Salt is distinctive. It is distinctive. It is not like anything else. The power of just one grain can make a difference. I remember a time where my wife, uh, we, she, she said, okay, we go, she was buying like this seasoning, but it said no salt. I'm like, where's the salt? I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting something to eat good, you know. She, she is a good cook, by the way. And so when she got seasoned without salt, it threw me off. And so I'm like, man, just one, I just want one grain. You know how you just dash a little bit and you just eat that and it just feels like the doors of heaven opened up and you just entered in? But salt is distinctive. Salt preserves Salt preserves. Salt keeps things from decaying. It keeps things from going bad. It, it cleanses it, it, and, and disinfects. Salt penetrates. You can place salt on the exterior of a big, beautiful piece of steak, like last night. Oh, glory. I know some of y'all are hungry right now, so I will make sure my sermon is a little bit longer. <laughs> Building up that anticipation, you know. But what it does is, on this steak, on this particular steak, salt, what it does is it draws out the moisture in the steak. And then the salt dissolves in the moisture and it creates a brine that is then reabsorbed back into the steak glory of heaven. Steak. It penetrates. Salt penetrates. Number four, salt flavors. Salt flavors. Salt influences the taste of food. Salt can take food that is bland and tasteless and make them very enjoyable to eat. I'm telling you, you just get a rice cake and you put some salt on it, you'll be good. <laughs> but salt also creates a thirst. It creates a thirst. Brothers and sisters, listen to me very carefully. Jesus essentially told his disciples, he just told them, you are distinct. You are different from everyone else. You walk different. You talk different. You look different. And the only one that can take away our sin and cleanse us within is nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is why it is so important for us as believers to be representatives of the king and penetrate this world and insert a new life into it by proclaiming that Jesus saves. 
See, the only way we can do that is by being an influence, living, listen to me very carefully, living what we proclaim, creating a thirst so people can taste and see that the Lord is good. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid as we, as we look into our society, we have walking transformers. According to society's definition of transformer, right in our churches, you know, Decepticons and Autobots. I was a transformer kid growing up. How many of y'all was a transformer kid? You know, you love transformer. Okay, I got a couple, all right. You know, you have Optimus Prime. You know, he's a leader of the Autobots and so forth. The interesting thing about Transformers is that they can, they're robots, okay? For y'all that don't know, they're robots. And they can transform into a vehicle, any type of vehicle. But they can also transform into an animal. But the interesting thing is that they transform back into the uh, person they were before. Paul said this. Paul said in, in Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, this word conform carries the idea of according to a pattern or mold, model after something. Now, this conformity affects the way we think. The way we think about life, is life considered at conception or when it's out of the womb? It affects the way we think about humanity. Do we have intrinsic value or are we just a bunch of molecules that, that happen to form over many years? Did God make a mistake in making you? Do, do we determine our identity, our own self-worth? This conformity, this pattern of thinking, this molding comes from this world, this age. Entertainment industry, media has an agenda. Media has an agenda. Their, their agenda is to get you to conform to their pattern of thinking. Not only that, this word here, this word conform, also has the connotation of being guided by. So they are molding a generation that will one day model the very thing they are pushing in the faces of our children, our teens, and our young adults. They are guiding them. And that is why you see on TV, uh, seen on our TV shows, the, the role of men are being feminized. And our men who play fathers are, being, are seen as dumb and senseless and oblivious. On top of that, the kids talk to their parents any kind of way they want because ultimately life is about the individual. I can do what I want. I can say what I want. I can be whatever I want to be. They're capturing the hearts of, of many and things that were not shown several years ago are now being seen almost on every single commercial. This conformity, this conformity has been, been very evident in our culture. Paul said this, he says, do not be conformed to this world. But he says this, be transformed. Be transformed. He used this word, be transformed. There are two ways to look at this word here in the Greek. You, uh, number one, to change in manner visible to others. To change in manner visible to others. The other is to change inwardly in fundamental character or condition, be changed, be transformed. See, I can change my wardrobe all day. I can change my facial look. I can change my hair color, cut and size. You can look different on the outside, but still be the same person on the inside. 
And that is what's wrong with cultural Christianity today. There are many transformed on the outside, but no transformation in the inside. They're changing backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. The conformity that happened on the outside made its way into the churches. This change Paul is speaking of, though, this transformation he is speaking of is an inward change. It's an inward and an expression of character and conduct. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are, uh, uh, behold, uh, the new has come. It is like, it's the idea of a caterpillar. A caterpillar is in its cocoon, and when it's, when it's, uh, uh, does it comes out and it's this beautiful butterfly. My Timothy loves butterflies. He'll, if you see a butterfly, he try to catch them. He's just an insect person. He just he'll pick them up. He just baby leave it alone. That's a roach. You don't pick that up. But he loves butterflies. Butterflies they're beautiful. They're flying. But they were a caterpillar. Have you ever seen a butterfly say, "I want to be a caterpillar"? No, he's already a butterfly. He was a caterpillar once, and he transformed. He metamorphosed. That's the word that Paul uses in, 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 in uh, uh, Romans 12. He metamorphosed, which we get our word metamorphosis from. He changed. This butterfly is flying. He's not trying to get back into be a caterpillar. So what Jesus does in light of this passage with salt and light, what he does, he says, Jesus used the verb are. He used the verb are in both metaphors to indicate the state of, Je- of, of, of Jesus' disciples. This was not an action they just performed or strive to achieve. This is who they are. Let me tell you something. If God says that you are a boy, you're a boy. If God says you're a girl, you are a girl. If God says that you are light, you are light. If God says you are salt, you are salt. Now it's up to you how you shine your light. It's up to you how you live your life. We ought to be faithful examples of Jesus, representing the king of this new kingdom. We belong to a kingdom. We belong to a kingdom. We should be distinctive in our character, impacting the culture with the truth of the gospel. So Jesus, he, he, he talks about the ethic of the kingdom. He, he goes on, he's, he talks about all this stuff in the first 16 verses, and then something enters in that is Kind of odd. Like, where's this coming from? Verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not going to go into all the nuances and details about the law and so forth. You can obviously deliver a whole sermon series on those three verses alone, but allow me to kind of elaborate just a little bit on these three verses. There are two parts to the law, two parts of the law, rather. You have the moral law, and then you have the ceremonial law. 
The moral law is an expression of God's character. Now, the ceremonial law was added because of the transgression of the moral law. Are y'all still with me? One is changeless and eternal. The other is provisional and temporary. Now, the moral law cannot be altered because God cannot be altered. The law of God is perfect. It is perfect. Listen, Jesus was obedient to the moral law, even to the point of death. One pastor put it this way. I love it how he, how he said it. He says, Jesus didn't come to discard, abolish the law. He came to display the intent of the law. He says, the Old Testament was the gospel in bud, but the New Testament is the gospel in bloom. This, Jesus is the law with skin on. He is the law in the prophets in living color. If the nation of Israel... If the nation of Israel could have lived out the scriptures perfectly, it would have looked like the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the indescribable gift, the bread of life, the prophet, priest, the king, Jesus, the son of the living God. He put it on display. He doesn't discard it. The son of a missionary, he said this. He says, we do not, I love this. He says, we do not need the light of stars when the sun has risen, but the stars are still shining. So, now we arrive here at verse 20, which is the very focal point of this entire message. Jesus is at this mountain, looking at his disciples, teaching them, and he says to them, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You never enter the kingdom of heaven. Watch this. The scribes and Pharisees, this, this, now this is the first time uh, these two names or titles, if you will, occurred together. Now, scribes, they were considered professional students and teachers of halakha. Uh, halakha is an explanation and practical application of the law as it pertains to various daily aspects of human conduct. Uh, Sadducees, uh, that's uh, uh, scribes, I'm sorry. And, and so the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they, they started out good. Many scholars believe that they emerged from the Maccabean uh, revolt. That is that time period we call the intertestamental period. That is that time period in our English Bibles uh, at the end of Malachi to, to Matthew. 400 years of silence, they say. That's when Alexander the Great, he, he spread the Greek culture and Hellenized things and, and so forth. And, so, and, and then you had this guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He desecrated the temple. And this priest by, named by, the, by the name of Maccabeus wasn't having it. And so a revolt happened. A revolt happened. And so many scholars believe that the, the Pharisees emerged out of that particular revolt and so forth that had transpired. They originally had a passion or a zeal for the law. Now, they devoted themselves to the meticulous practice of the law. Now, without special emphasis on matters such as ritual purity, tithing, and Sabbath observance, they had 613 laws. Try to follow all of those. And with multiple examples of each one, and on top of that, they had the Mishnah, the oral tradition. Now, however, their zeal raised their addition to the law on the same level as God's law. And so the Pharisees, they practiced harsh legal, legalism. One scholar put it this way. He says they, they were mo the most outstanding religious leaders of the time. You know, they were recognized and revered by people. They determined the course of religious life in the nation. This is why Christ tangled 
with them so much. They were people who claimed uh, or appeared to have intense righteousness. So they, they also based their righteousness off of six things. Number one, religion. Religion. They were the most consistently religious people in Israel. Number two, birth. They were children of Abraham. They had retained purity of, of breed and could trace their roots through genealogies. Number three, status. They were the most highly regarded people in the nation. Performance. They kept the law with a vengeance, even to the point of growing hedges around the law. That means that, you know, if, if this is the law, I'm going to draw a hedge around this law. So if I won't do this, I won't do this. And then they would continue to draw hedges around that law. Number five, conformity. Tradition was a key issue. They developed and kept it. And then morality. They were very moral people who were generally clear of blame. So what? Okay, so now you're telling me all of this stuff. You're talking about the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. You, you, you're talking about mentioning the, these first uh, uh, 20 verses. So, so what? See, these disciples, these Jewish men, my dad, these Jewish men grew up as kids listening to the Pharisees teaching uh, uh, on the law. They experienced the, the piety of these Pharisees. Can you imagine? These disciples are like, what on earth? How on earth are we going to exceed or surpass the righteousness of these Pharisees? Jesus, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? How, how are we going to do that? How are we going to surpass them? How, they are the epitome of righteousness. And, and so, so far, it seems like Christ holds them as examples. And, and it seems as if he agrees with their outward claims, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was saying. In other words, Jesus was saying this. He says, the Pharisees have been wading through the water. And he's telling his disciples, I want, I want to invite you to swim. In other words, they, they, these Pharisees, they have been working and practicing on the scales. And, and I, disciples, I'm inviting you to play music. Jesus was inviting, listen to me very carefully, Jesus was inviting his disciples, as one pastor put it beautifully, to a transform internal life rather than a conform external life. Y'all with me? There's no missing what Jesus is saying here. Jesus wants more than outward obedience. He desires an inward move of surrender in obedience. You see, the practice of good works and religious activity are merely the driveway. True righteousness, true righteousness is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. True righteousness is about relationship, not performance. The reason why Jesus was saying that your, uh, your righteousness need to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees because they had all the external religious activity, but their hearts were far from him. That is the difference between external righteousness, looking good on the outside, living off of performance or duty or guilt versus internal righteousness. So if you don't get anything else, I want you to listen to me very carefully here. This is the whole point of this particular passage. Jesus, he, was, he, he got, gathered his disciples. He wanted his disciples. He wanted his disciples to understand that the Pharisees were doing. 
They were doing. He wanted his disciples being. He wanted them being. Jesus do not want his disciples doing church. He want them being the church. Jesus didn't want his disciples doing things that make them look like kingdom citizens. He wanted them to be kingdom citizens. You know, as a believer, we belong to a kingdom. And our king is Yahweh. He's our God. He's in charge. And we are ambassadors. So the way we act the way we act should be that of the kingdom. The way we look should be that of the kingdom. The way we make our decisions should be that of the kingdom. Too many folks are making their own decisions, own opinions, instead of looking through scripture and seeing what scriptures say. What folks typically do is they pile up all these other books on top of the Bible and try to look at the Bible last. This is sufficient. This should be our primary source. You may be here right now as a kingdom citizen, a follower of Jesus, going through something right now. You may be facing an illness right now or, or close to someone who is. You, you, you may be uh, experiencing death of a family member or a friend. You may have loss of income due to uh, just circumstances or whatnot. You, your car may be messing up on you. You may be going through a messy divorce. You, you lost everything through a natural disaster or, 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 or husband and wife or husband or wife on, on military deployment or even your kids may be on military deployment and, and you have this sense of unspeakable loneliness. See, to me very carefully, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ who is being internalized as 2 Corinthians 1, 3, when it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. You see, a believer who is being internalizes Psalm 68, 10, your flock found a dwelling in it, and your goodness, oh God, you provided for the needy. But a believer who is being internalizes John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your hearts be, uh, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Faithfulness and being. Faithfulness and being. What does that mean, faithfulness and being? Steadfast loyalty that is not easily swayed to the left or to the right. That is what faithfulness in being means. Faithfulness in being means our faithfulness to God. Being faithful means that we trust him and love him through all of our circumstances. We all go through something. We all go through something. We have struggles in life. But I love it when Paul, Paul said in, in Corinthians, he's, he was telling the Corinthian church, he says, look, I've been shipwrecked, not once, not twice, but three times. I've been beaten. I've been sought after. I've been traveling on this road, this dangerous road. It was times I, I could not find anything to eat. I'm hungry. But even through it all, in spite of all of that, I still will advance the gospel and still live for Christ. One thing that I love, I 
absolutely loving. God keeps reminding me no matter what you are going through, I am still with you. I'm still with you. Still with you. Some of us need to hear that, that he is still with you. So faithfulness in being, it means through all circumstances, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's going on in your life, it means following him even when we rather choose a different path. We might, I don't want to. Oh, I don't want to experience that pain. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to do that. I, I say, I say it too. But hear me when I say this: How on earth are we going to grow if we don't go through anything? challenging as it may be and how the Lord allows certain things in our lives to transpire he is still with us walking with us alongside us saying draw from my strength not your own he is a good God Brothers and sisters, as you leave this place, wherever you go, whenever you go, and whatever you do, always remember to remain faithful in being. Faithful in being. Walk out your faith in a world that is faithless. We have so many in our society, so many in our world, and even in our churches that are not living Walk it out. Walk it out. Be faithful in being. I love it. Prince of Preachers, we call, typically call Charles Spurgeon. He once said this. He says, I know of nothing which I would choose to have as the subject of my ambition for life than to be kept faithful to my God till death. Be faithful. Being. Not just doing doing being being every head bowed in this place and eyes close you see what matters to God is being it's being today you have a choice in just a moment you are going to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel truth you know, the gospel is nothing but good news See, Israel was waiting for a king and, and a Messiah to come and, and save them. And, and I love what in the book of Isaiah it talks about oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And then you see in the New Testament, good news is walking. It's Jesus, the son of the living God. He is Wonderful, amazing. In just a moment, you're going to have a, a time where you can say, look, I surrender my life to him. You have a choice. You have a choice. 
Understand one thing. He knows exactly where you are at at this time, at this hour. He knows what is going on in your life. He knows what you are facing. Maybe you say, okay, look, I have a personal relationship with the Lord. I I believe and I trust in Jesus. I I am a follower of Jesus and I love him with my whole heart. But sometimes I just, I'm struggling. Something has come up in your life or whatever it may be. Please, in just a moment, you're going to have a time to come to the altar. And to lay your burden here at the altar. Don't be like some that, 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 that come to the altar and, and, and confess a problem or, or acknowledge a problem or, or something that's going on. And they, as they're walking back, they have a chain tied to the problem and it's going right back with them. Even at the altar. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your love. Father, we don't deserve it. None of us do. But you gave it because you love us with an unspeakable love. And I pray, Father, if anyone is battling right now in their soul, God, I pray that you would save them. I can't. They can't. Only you can. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would do a marvelous work in their lives. Lord, I pray right now for those of us who are believers and may be going through something, that you would touch them right at that point of need, that you would reassure them and let them know that you are there. Maybe it may be an encouraging word from someone or something. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would just allow them to feel your touch, your presence. Father, for those of us who are, Lord God, living for you and and just love you and just continue to want to grow, Father, I pray that you would continue to help us to remain faithful in you. Give us the strength, oh God, I pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you today. For it is in your son, Christ's name we pray. Amen.